0: I know a lot of you are here today because uh, this is what you do on Sunday. You come to worship. Others of you are here today because your March Madness bracket is a big hot mess. (laughs) It's going to be okay. I invite you to kneel with me in a time of prayer before we open God's word together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that there is power in your name. God, we thank you that many of us here have experienced firsthand the power in your name. And it is our prayer here today that many more would experience the power in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. The most successful podcast in the entire world right now, as I speak, is called the Joe Rogan Experience. Joe Rogan's episodes receive around 11 million views. That is a lot of eyeballs watching and listening to this guy. Rogan is an interesting guy. He's a former comedian an actor. He's an MMA announcer. He started a podcast many years ago and it just exploded. How many of you have heard and know who Joe Rogan is? You've heard the name. Wow, most of us here know who he is. Um, Listen, I don't endorse by any stretch of the imagination everything he says. I'm not telling you to go watch his podcast. He uses a lot of bad language, not a little, a lot. At the same time, he does believe in free speech. He has interesting guests on his show, and he believes a man's a man's a woman and a woman. That's kind of radical today for some people. So now and then people will send me or I'll watch clips of his show. And I saw an interview he had just a few weeks ago, really, with a guy by the name of Adam Curry. Adam I never really had heard of Adam Curry, but Adam Curry is known as the Pod Father. He's the guy that supposedly invented or created podcasts. He was an MTV VJ back in the 80s. Uh, he's made a good bit of money, and he is also a conspiracy theory uh, conspiracy theory debunker, okay? So that's one of the things he's done is he likes to debunk conspiracy theories. So he's sitting there uh, talking to Joe Rogan, and they're having a conversation about all these things. And then in the middle of the conversation, Adam Curry starts to talk about Uh, This party he was at at the Upper East Side in Manhattan, and this person was talking about good and evil, and it kind of got him thinking about things. Adam Curry's about 58 years old. He's been an atheist almost his entire life. And he said, Joe, I started started thinking about things. He said, you know, I've looked at all these different conspiracy theories. I've looked at, you know, 9-11. I looked at JFK assassination. I've looked at this and that. But I've never looked at the conspiracy theory of God. He goes, I've never really believed in God, I'm not a religious person, so I thought I would look at the biggest conspiracy theory of all time, and that's God. And Rogan goes, oh man, that's interesting. He goes, yeah. And he said, Joe, let me tell you what I discovered as I started doing some investigation and looking at all these books. He goes, let me tell you something. And I want you to know this, because you're my friend. He said, "God is real, Jesus exists, and He has completely changed my outlook on life. And we can win with God." Yeah. He said, I, "Joe, I know you know you kind of find this weird coming from me." He goes, "I'm not some right wing nut job. I mean." The last time Adam Curry was on the Joe Rogan experience, they were smoking a joint as big as the state of Oklahoma, okay? So, all right. So this guy's brand new. And and he's done some research, done a little evidence, searching in his his opinion. And then he just kind of, you know, rolls this grenade out, if you would, in the middle of the table to see what his friend Joe's going to do. And Joe's a really good interviewer. And uh, he said, well, man, man, no, uh, that's, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. He goes, let me ask you some questions about, about this. Let me ask you some questions. And then Joe goes on to ask Adam three questions about his belief in God and Christ and Christianity. And so what I wanna share with you today are, are these three questions, and these are three questions that. I've been asked many, many times in my life in dealing with people, either skeptics or people far away from faith in God or people who are questioning. And perhaps these are questions you've been asked by friends or family members or coworkers before. And I think going through some of these questions and looking at the answers that I might perhaps give uh, can be helpful to you. Because a lot of times people want to know, why do you believe what you believe? You were singing about Jesus. You were singing about him breaking the chains and all that. Why should I believe in that? What does that look like? So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at some of the questions that that Rogan asked this guy and how to answer them. Now, here's what's interesting. The first question we're gonna tackle here today and really expand upon is found in the Bible. How about that? I don't think Rogan knew what he was doing there, but that's okay. Uh, Turn to Matthew. Chapter number 16, Matthew 16. It's a really interesting passage. Wish we had time to dig into it at length, but we don't. But we're gonna hit some really, I think, interesting points in this passage. Then we'll deal with these three questions that Rogan asked. Um, when, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the son of man is? So it's like Jesus is having this ultimate podcast, if you would, with his disciples. Now, the fact that he's in Caesarea Philippi is is to be noted. Caesarea Philippi was the most pagan town and region where Christ and his disciples ministered. So when Jesus launches into this kind of Q and A with his disciples here, he's doing so intentionally in a place that's renowned for its pagan worship. They're like 48 hour walk away from where they normally are. And, and the backdrop is this massive rock, this huge rock on, on the side of Mount Hermon. And that's where the pagans would go and sacrifice to their gods, sometimes even human sacrifice. So that's where he is. That's, they're kind of under the shadow of this massive rock formation in the most pagan region you can find there in Israel. And he's having this discussion with his followers. And he wants to know, who do people say the Son of Man is? They, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say, others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah. Others say the prophets. And know what's interesting about that question that Jesus is asking them, people are still asking the same question today some 2000 years later. Who was Jesus Christ? Was, was he a prophet? Was he a good teacher? Was he a madman? Was he a charlatan? Who was Jesus Christ? Verse 15, but what do you think? He basically says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you're not smarter to figure that out on your own. Bless your heart, God revealed that to you. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, Not the pagan rock that where he was under and teaching, but on this rock, the rock of his confession, will I build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Boom. Jesus starts talking to his followers about his identity. And when you boil it down to everything and you boil down all the questions that people have, it comes back to the identity of this enigmatic carpenter, rogue rabbi who claims to be the son of God. So when Adam Curry talks on this podcast with Joe about, man, I'm... I you know God is real, Jesus exists, and he's changed my life and we can win with God. You know, Rogan was like, hey man, that's great. That's great, man. I'm glad, I'm glad that help is helpful to you. And, and let me say this about, well para, a parenthesis here about Rogan, is that he is not a hostile skeptic in this dialogue at all. At all. You know, most people you get in these kind of conversations, if you are a believer in God or a Christian, they wanna intellectually bully you. Joe doesn't do that with Adam. So he goes, oh, that's, that's interesting, that's interesting. He goes, well, Adam, let me ask you a question. Who do you believe that Jesus Christ was? That's his first question. And, and Adam goes, I, I believe he's, he's the son of the living God. Which is the right answer, right? And then Rogan follows up with his second question. He goes from that question and to really a really broad question. And he asks the question, he goes, well, how do you know that Jesus Christ ever really existed? So there's a, a minor trend out there in the debates between theist and atheist and skeptics. And some skeptics are taking the massive, you know, Joseph Goebbels-like claim that Jesus Christ never existed. I think that's an asinine claim, but anyway, people are making that claim. Let's just say that Jesus Christ never existed. So that's what Rogan was kind of parroting there. He was saying, well, how do you even know that Jesus Christ ever existed? And then he added, listen, Joe said, it's gonna take a lot of evidence for me to believe that someone who lived 2,000 years ago was actually the son of God. So great questions, great questions. So how would I answer that second question? How do you know who Jesus Christ was and what did he say about being the son of God? What, What proof do we have? What evidence do we have? Well, I would say, first of all, we have historical evidence for the existence of Christ and the Christian faith. So for many people, they don't wanna listen to what the Bible has to say about the life of Christ or the gospels have to say, we'll get to that in a second. They'll go, well, there's no proof outside of the Bible that Jesus Christ ever existed. Well, that's a very uninformed uh, comment when people make that comment. Just check this out for a second. If you look at non-biblical, extra-biblical sources, here's what you find. You have Greco-Roman sources like Thallus, Tacitus, Pliny, Suetonius, Celsus. You have Jewish sources like Josephus and the Talmud. And then from all these non-biblical, extra-biblical historical sources, we can discover this about the existence of Christ. We know the name of Christ. We know the time and place of his public ministry. We know his mother's name. We know about his ambiguous birth we know about the name of his brother James, we know his fame as a teacher, we know that he was claimed to be a miracle worker, we know his title, Messiah, and Christ, we know his kingly status, we know the time and manner of his execution, we know the leaders that were involved in his trial, we know the coincidence that happened, the eclipse, the time of his execution, we know the reports of his appearing from the dead, we know the flourishing of a movement that made him the very center. All of that is non-biblical historical evidence that shouts of the existence of Christ not just of his existence but his life birth family so many details we can figure out and glean from history alone so also there's historical evidence in the the biblical text the new testament texts themselves so when you look at the new testament document as documents of antiquity the number of manuscripts we have, say, compared to Plato's manuscripts or Homer's manuscripts, it doesn't even compare. So we'll have like, I don't know, 62 copies of Plato's The Republic. We'll have 8,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. The gap we have between our first manuscript of Plato's Republic versus the, uh, is about, I don't know, 1,200 years. The gap between our first manuscript in the New Testament is a gap of only about 50 years. So when you look at the historical veracity of the New Testament manuscripts themselves, compared to other uh, documents of antiquity, it's quite amazing. Even a liberal scholar like John A.T. Robinson would say this. He said, the wealth of manuscripts... And above all, the narrow interval of time between the writing and earliest extant copies make it by far the best attested text of any ancient writing in the world. So if someone is asking me for evidence for the existence of Christ, I would point to this extra biblical evidence and also would have them to look further into the manuscript evidence of the New Testament themselves. If they want to go to the Old Testament, we could talk Dead Sea Scrolls and other issues. Another form of evidence I would use that's so critical that Adam Curry doesn't get into in this dialogue with Joe Rogan. By the way, Adam, for a brand new believer and in, in a, in a kind of quirky person, does an excellent job. He does an excellent job uh, of engaging in this conversation uh, with his friend, Joe. But one thing he did forget and left out that's absolutely critical is the Big Bang, the Big Bang. Now, last week, we talked about the Big Bang as it relates to Big Bang cosmology, that the universe had an actual bang, an actual beginning. But I don't want to talk about the Big Bang of Christianity. The Big Bang of Christianity that started the revolution that changed the world was the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the only explanatory mechanism, the only cause large enough or powerful enough to launch this little movement was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul and Peter and John and all of these followers, early followers of Christ, went out into the world, went out into the synagogues, went out into the marketplace and traveled and proclaimed that the Christ who was crucified rose again on the third day. He appeared to us. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. So no matter how you view the past, no matter how you view Uh, the supernatural, or whether you believe God exists or not, not, or miracles. You have to, as a historian, a fair historian, look back at the inception of the Christian faith and ask yourself the question, how in the world did it start? They had no military power. They had no money. They had nothing. But they had experienced the reality of Jesus Christ in their own life. They'd been transformed from cowards and people who are running from the authorities to courageous men and women who are proclaiming, yes, I've seen him alive. I've been with him. So the resurrection is the big bang. And that's a massive amount of historical evidence that we don't have time to get into today. If you really want to look at the resurrection, if you're really seeking, you want to check out the works of Gary Habermas. Gary Habermas has written some great things on the resurrection, as well as a British scholar by the name of N.T. Wright. But we must move on. Rogan asks a third question to Adam, which is, I think is really interesting. It's kind of a, to me, kind of a matrix. If you remember the movie The Matrix with Keanu Reeves, it's kind of a matrix question. And you know, Rogan in this case is, is puffing a big old cigar and blowing smoke and. Adam's face, you know, literally it's funny. And he's like, well, you know, man, do you think that, that Jesus Christ and Christianity could be, do you think it's maybe some type of psychological software that you can run in your mind that makes you happy? And Joe goes, "Cause, man, I, I can see Adam that you're happy and man, you're, you're happy. And that's, that's what it's all about, right? Isn't it? It's all about, about being happy. And that's his third question, is is Christianity, is Christ specifically a type of psychological program that you can kind of run in your mind and download uh, like the matrix? And I I would say this, I would say yes and no. So in other words, if, if you have an experience with Christ, if you ask him to come into your heart and mind to take over your life, there will be psychological effects in your life. You may or may not have feelings of happiness, but there will be something that will happen inside of your heart and mind because of your newfound connection with God in Christ. So on one hand, absolutely, yes, Christ and God does affect our psychology. Being forgiven, knowing that God has really forgiven you, affects you psychologically. Knowing that there's a God who truly and deeply loves you, affects you psychologically. At the same time, I would have to answer no in that Jesus Christ and Christianity is not some type of psychological trick, you know, that you can somehow trick your mind into believing this myth. It's more like a transformational truth, you know, that has teeth and reality to it. But what Rogan is getting at here to me in this, in this third question is he, he's talking about experience and he's talking about needs you know it seems to me he's saying to his friend God is meeting a need in your life and I think that's another line of evidence that I would use if I were in the conversation with Rogan or someone like it and I would say not only is there historical evidence that we've looked at briefly I would say there's experiential evidence experiential evidence. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, you have to look at the expert testimonies. And one person I would again, encourage someone to look at and really think about is the expert testimony of a guy by the name of Paul. Paul was a brilliant intellect. He was trained in the Oxford or Harvards of his day. He knew philosophy. He knew theology. He was trained by the best of the best. He was in a a position of power and a position of influence. And he was seeking to wipe out and abolish anybody who believed that Jesus Christ was the son of God. He had people executed for believing that and proclaiming that. He had people, families thrown in jail for saying that and believing that. But something happened to this brilliant thinker, intellect, and passionate follower. He Had an encounter with God in Christ. The resurrected Christ appeared to him and it changed everything. And he went around the Mediterranean world proclaiming the reality that Christ is real, that he died and rose again, that he's appeared to me. And Paul was the guy that God used massively to help write the New Testament. This firmer, former murderer of Christians has now become a missionary. It's it's mind boggling. Our our New Testament would be like a, I don't know, a a napkin if, if we didn't have Paul writing it out for it. And Paul never worked at a church full time. He was always in the business world. So he's in the business world doing his job like most of you do, and he wrote the Bible in his spare time. No pressure, no pressure. So you gotta deal with expert testimonies like Paul. We could fast forward a few years. You gotta deal with Justin Martyr, first century, his conversion. You gotta deal with Origen. You gotta deal with Augustine. We could go on and on and on of these men and women who would, I would consider expert testimonies, stories of their conversion, and how God and Christ changed their life. Then you have the everyday needs testimony. That's, that's most of us would line up and do the everyday needs testimony. Kind of, I once was blind, but now I see. I, I may not can answer your intellectual questions that you have, but all I know is, God's changed my life. All I know is I've had an experience with Jesus Christ and he is real and he has forgiven me and he loves me. I never knew real love until I asked Christ to come into my life. I was crippled in fear and I didn't never could go out and I never could risk. I couldn't find my purpose in life until I had a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have our own life story Some of you have that story in your own life of how God in Christ has, has met a need and fulfilled a real human need in our life. And then there are the, what I would call overcoming testimonies. Overcoming testimonies. In other words, people that have been hooked on something and they can't get out. They've been addicted and they can't get set free. I think about Uh, One of my favorite public intellectuals is a guy by the name of Glenn Lowry. Glenn Lowry received his Ph.D. from MIT. He was a tenured professor at Harvard. He currently teaches economics at Brown University. When Glenn was teaching at Harvard back in the 80s, a prolific professor, published scholar, his career was just up, 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 up. So he was teaching at Harvard publishing during the day, a renowned academic, but at night, he was out on the street trying to figure out where he could get more cocaine. He was addicted to Coke. And he couldn't stop. No matter how much he tried, no matter how brilliant he was, he could not stop doing drugs. He could not stop using. But finally, he hit bottom. He went into a meeting, said, hey, I have no control, I have no power over this. He then said that at that time in his life, he was 40 years of age, and he asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. He was baptized, and he says he hadn't touched cocaine since 1993. So, yeah. So. There are many stories like Glenn's of people, men, women, young people, old people, all kinds of backgrounds who would say, I was addicted, I was in chains, (laughs) I could not get out. But I turned my life over to Christ and he set me free. So someone asked me, how, how do you know Jesus Christ is real? How do you know that he existed? And how can you prove that? I would say, listen, hey, man, there, there's a treasure trove of historical and experiential evidence that supports the veracity of the Christian faith, a treasure trove. And if you wanna know more if you want to investigate more, I'll be glad to talk to you about that. I'd be glad to refer you to certain other podcasts or interviews or books to help you discover for yourself some of that evidence. So there's historical evidence. There's experiential evidence. But prayerfully, in your life, in my life, if you're a Christian, it's my prayer that there is Personal evidence, personal evidence. It's it's one thing to say, you know, I believe that there's a God, God exists. That's, That's one thing. Okay, that's great. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, that he died, he rose again. I believe that. There's a massive difference in believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And that's where old Kierkegaard rears his ugly Danish head as a Christian philosopher and says, are you living it? You say you believe in God, you say you believe in Christ, you say you're Christians, but is there evidence in your own life that proves that? And again, I'm not trying to put us on on a guilt trip and say that you're saved by works or by evidences. You're not, you're not. God doesn't need your good works for you to be saved, but your neighbor does. Faith works. Grace works. If I've been forgiven, I will seek to forgive. If I've been blessed, I will seek to bless others. So since we're talking about evidence here today, since we're talking about providing evidence in this conversation between Joe and Adam, what about evidence in your life? You know, if you were put on trial today after church, is there enough evidence to convict you? If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Christianity is not just intellectual assent to a bunch of propositional truths. It's not just cognition to think the right things, though cognition and intellect is important. It's to have these things lived out into our hearts and into our minds. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. It's bad news first. It's bad news. You're messed up. I'm messed up. You've broken God's laws. You're a sinner. You really, really are. I really, really am. And the good news is God sent his son into this world to die and to rise again, that we could be forgiven and we could know him. Hey, God is real. Jesus Christ really existed. Not only did he exist, but he is here right now. And if you'll be open to him, he can have a powerful impact on your life. He can and will. All you need to do is ask, seek and